Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. On the first page there, we looked at um, um, the fact that your soul must be kept in peace. If in any area you have the greatest propensity to be hurt, it's in the area of your soul. It's in the area of your, what's your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, especially emotionally. Many people are emotional wrecks because the enemy has hurt them in the area of their soul. And how has the bruising of Satan, which I like to call it, Genesis 5.3, how is Satan, how can he bruise humans? He bruises them in the area of their soul. Even Christians struggle with soul restoration. David said, he restores my he restores my soul. James said, receive the engrafted word which is able to save your which is able to save your soul. In the area of the emotions of a person, a lot of negative hurt can be inflicted because of relational tension, strife, or relational breakdown. Very often there's hurt, there's betrayal, there's offense that is caused by one person to another. And the area of bruising or the area of hurt that takes place is the the soul. Now, if you don't master how to live an offense-free life, your soul is going to be bruised and you will never prosper totally. Because 3 John says, I wish that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So please locate the study in terms of the broad overarching picture. We're still dealing that we must be successful that we must be prosperous and one hindrance to total life prosperity is the bruising in the soul because somebody hurt you somebody said something about you someone somewhere betrayed you and you walk and you go in life with offense or with unforgiveness and bitterness you know the amazing thing is i thought last night while praying you can be morally upright you can be perfect in that sense sinless pure. Um, You walk in rectitude. You walk uprightly. You're blemishless morally. Your thoughts are pure. You operate with high integrity in your workplace. Uh, No one, as the scripture says, can point a finger at you. You are irreproachable, right? Um, No one even has cause to lay blame at your feet for any single thing. Let's say you're that kind of a person. That's powerful, not so. Yet I've seen that caliber of person fail relationally. You can be fine morally, but fail relationally. And you don't even have to be the guilty party. Someone somewhere offended. Someone somewhere hurt you. But based upon your inaccurate reactions to that process, you become injured and you ultimately end up the victim. Even your your offender might ask for forgiveness for his sin, and go on in God, and you're stuck with this problem in your heart. Now that for me, if, if anything, you know Solomon says, I've seen many sad things under the heavens. If anything, I would write 
a Solomonic proverb. My, my Barnwellic proverb would be this. This is the saddest thing I've seen in life. How an upright, integrous, pure, holy person fails the purposes of God simply because that person failed to accurately respond to an offender that attempted to inflict hurt upon their soul. You could go to hell. That's how bad it is. You could go to hell. Because if you do not forgive anyone in your heart, the Lord says, neither will I forgive you. It is that serious. Unforgiveness inhibits the flow of God's forgiveness to you. And you know, you can be proficient in spiritual gifts. Let's say you are morally upright, all of that, pure. Noch al, added to that, you are powerful in your spirit perception. You can prophesy. Um, you can speak in tongues, even interpret in tongues. Paul even says, you can know all mysteries. Revelation flows to you. But if you have not love, you are sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Think about just what Paul said. Paul said, your spiritual perfection is not measured by your proficiency in spiritual things or things of the spirit. Now, don't you know some powerful people? A prophet or highly prophetic, prophetically motivated person can come in here and, and, and read Jules' ID and prophesy the next five years of our life. Powerful. We are impressed. And we say, wow, that guy can really um, access things of the spirit. I'm not discounting that. That's very necessary. We must, we must uh, sharpen ourselves in spiritual things. But you know, that same prophet walks out and someone offends him and he does not forgive. You know what the Lord says? His failure to express love has simply invalidated his actions in the realm of the spirit. You are nothing. Everyone say nothing. Paul says, I am nothing if I have not love. You must read it in 1 Corinthians. He said, I can do all the things. He even said, you can be the greatest revelator, writing all the manuals, decoding the scriptures, all mysteries, but in essence, you fail relationally. He said, you are Luto. Nothing. Is Luto nothing? I think it is. Okay. In other words, you've just reduced yourself in God's estimation to the realm called insignificant. Tells me the person that masters relationships and the issues of the soul is well on the way to spiritual perfection. And we demonstrated this in the study on Tuesday. And I really want to encourage you. Now is not the time to fail relationally. Right? And do you know, I said to you, um, it's evidenced by your speech, not so? Mark 9.50 says, have salt within yourselves and be at peace with one another. Are you salt? Ask your neighbor, are you salty? <laughs> right? Now, it's, aren't we the salt of the earth? Salt arrests decayed as antiseptic, purifying, and preserving qualities. Right? So we are the salt of the earth. But contextually, the scripture says this, listen carefully. Have salt within yourselves, comma, and be at peace one with another. Your capacity to live peaceably amplifies your salt characteristic. You are salt 
when you are at peace. Peace relationally with people and you lose your power to function as the salt of God in the earth. I also said to you, salt is depictive of graceful speech. And then I said also that you know when you're mastering relationships, when you can assess the spirit and the frequency or the, the spirit and the content of your conversations. Right? And you know what the Bible says? We are talking about Zechariah 8.12. I'll give you peace with the seed, but we also said in this context, you need to sow the seed of peace for there to be a fruit of peace or fruits of righteousness contextually, right? You need to sow the seeds of peace. Now listen carefully. Everyone say sow seeds of peace. Seed is symbolic of many things. In the parable of the sower, the Bible says, Jesus said, the word is seed. The sower is the preacher. So seed is always indicative of speech or words. If I'm saying to you, if you want a peaceful spatial environment, sow seeds of peace, literally sow words of peace. Learn the art of speaking correctly. And what does James say? I'm giving you a summary of what we did. What does James say? If any man can bridle his tongue, that man is perfect. Right? If any man can bridle his tongue, that is a perfect man. And so I really want to encourage you. Remember the proverb, uh, Proverbs 8, just go there. 18 is, is it? About life and death and the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. I want to encourage you. You know, Mary and you will know when you are on your way to spiritual perfection. When you can master your speech. Every single one of us. If we can simply, listen carefully. If we can simply temper how we talk about people. I'm going to say it again for emphasis. If you can simply uh, uh, monitor or temper and regulate the spirit by which you talk about people and the actual content that frames your conversations about people, especially people with whom you have relational tension, I guarantee you, you are well on your way to... to um, to spiritual perfection and maturity. And what you are doing, you are paving the way for your prosperity. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. It's amazing, eh? Where's death and life? Everyone say, life is in my tongue. But also say, death is also in my tongue. Some of your contexts are filled with indications of death simply because of what you are speaking, how you are speaking. If you want the principle of life to persist, learn to speak accurately. It says that they that love it will eat what? If you talk about fruit, there must have been a seed. If you say you will eat the fruit there, it means you've just sown seed. So negative, so negative speech and you reap poison. So positive speech and you reap fruit. Listen to this in the contemporary English version of the Bible. Words can bring death or life. Too much talk and you will eat everything you say. Too much talk and you will eat everything you say. The Bible says every idle world that men speak, they will be held accountable for. 
right? And I, I, I've, I've literally been saying this almost every week in the series. And I feel some of us are disobedient to this instruction. Watch what you talk about over dinners. Watch what you talk about over lunches. Watch what you talk about privately, especially in reference to people with you and your spouse. Watch the spirit of the conversation. Watch the content of the person, right? Uh, of, 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 of the conversation. Learn to speak uh, peace. Learn to speak redemptively. The focus of this topic t- uh, this morning is peacemaking. Everyone say peacemaking. peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sonship is defined by your capacity to make peace. You're blessed as a son because of your ability to to make peace. I'm going to skip some of the things simply because of time. I want to get straight into where we left off um, on Tuesday evening. Go to page 8. This is something I want to focus on there quickly. Page 8. In the middle of the page, death is an essential requirement in the process of reconciliation. He who who positions himself as a peacemaker has got to literally live in the culture of death to self. You don't have uh, uh, any, um, you don't lay great store by your ability to justify yourself um, or a particular prejudice or viewpoint that you have toward the person. You literally kill those things within you. You die internally to those things. Why? Primarily at the top of your mind, you want to reconcile. You want there to be peaceful relations between you and the offending party. They might be um, planning deliberately um, and sowing seeds of discord and schism, etc. But that does not give you the license to react similarly. In fact, as a peacemaker, especially in context where there's deliberate assault against you, you have to position yourself um, in, in a mode of peace, in a disposition of peace, in a reconciliatory um, attitude and disposition towards your greatest enemy, your greatest offender. This marks you out as a son of God. Remember in Matthew 5, Jesus said this, if you love your enemies, if you love your brother and you do not love your enemies, what reward you have? Therefore I say to you, love your enemies, etc., etc., so that what? So that you will be sons of your father. Repeat that after me. So that you would be sons of your father. That verse I don't hear priest often. Literally, pause, sila. He's saying, you have an enemy, love him so that you will be sons of your father. Sonship, divine sonship is defined in terms of an attitude toward an enemy. You, you express your divine sonship by your accurate responses even to your greatest hater. Then, I just like it. Everyone say then. Matthew says, then you are sons of your father. Picture the father standing in the heavens looking down and, and he's seeing, um, let's say, Joash. Um, you're at school. What grade are you going to next year? 11. Grade 11 next year. And then the, one of the boys, your greatest persecutor, let's say. Hope you don't have those. If you have, just call me. I'll sort them out. <laughs> okay. Or your dad. And let's say 
And, and all the while, you're not, reaction, you're not reactionary to their taunts. You know people taunt? They, they want to evoke a, a response. Who has some taunters in your life? Any taunters? I've got many. <laughs> eh? People that incite you to provoke the wrong reaction within you. And yet your response is simply, consistently, love, peace. Um, no bitterness in my responses. Even if I do respond, it's cordial. It's Christ-like. You know what? The Father, I believe the Father will stand on His throne, look down, and say, check my son Joash, son of his father. Peter, Matthew says, for them, you are marked out as sons of your father. As many as received Him to them, gave you power to become what? Sons. Say technon. Technon. Legally, uh, there's a difference between technon and euios. Euios is the mature son. Your acceptance of Christ gives you legal entrance into the kingdom. You are technically, legally a son of God. But Matthew 5 said, blessed are what? Blessed are what? Come on, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? Not technon, euios. Your, I mean, John 1, 12 verses Matthew 5, 9 compare the two. Both says you're going to be called the sons of God. But the son of God who is a peacemaker has now exhibited the highest level of maturity in God. I say again, your spiritual perfection is not defined morally. Your spiritual perfection is not defined in your proficiency in terms of the gifts. Your spiritual perfection biblically and from God's vantage point is defined how you perfect all of your relationships. Then he says, you are my son. You are my son. Perfect Hebron and you can take Zion. Just master relationships. And God says, hey, my son. And this is a challenge. I think what the moment Joseph saw the brothers. Think of that moment. Everyone say the moment. If I were a movie maker, I would love to have made that scene. The moment when he reveals his identity towards his brothers. And, and think of the fear. How would you picture this dramatically in a movie? Think of the fear on the brothers' faces knowing we are in serious trouble here. This guy can order our death right now. And yet his response is of love, forgiveness, to those that hurt me the most. And let me just say this to you. You know how sometimes your forgiveness is tested? When you are in a position either to prohibit or to promote your enemy, and it's in your power to do so, and the offense is still the offense still persists. They haven't asked you for forgiveness yet, but you have power to either push them forward or to keep them back. Then the chips are down. God tests your heart. I mean, think of Joseph. Eh? He could have said, "Right, slaughter them all, call the the officers in." But what what did he say? He even placated them. He said, "Don't worry, pacify them." He said, "Don't worry. You sold me. God sent me." Right? Forgiveness. Everyone say peace be to you. What does Joseph's face represent? The face of Christ. Remember he said to the brothers, you will not see my face again until all the brothers are represented. Whenever Christ comes, he always comes. I love what Quinton said today. The manifestation of his, of his person is always within an environment of peace. Jesus walked the walls in the scripture we read today. Walk through walls. And what first thing he says, what is? 
peace be with you, peace to you. And the Lord really ministered as that was read, that the new revelations of the persons of Christ in his unfolding nature, progressively through time, he's going to come to us and reveal more and more aspects of himself to us. Please remember, in their context, all they knew was the historical Jew who had just died. Jesus has now elevated to a glorified body. The revelation of Christ has grown from one season to the next. Now Jesus wants to reveal himself to them in the newness of the new thing or the new season that he's about to do in their lives. And he comes to them within the culture of peace. Amen? Within the culture of peace. How would you like to be in a position of great power? And your greatest enemy gave you problems for the last 20 years. And let's say you have the power either to rescind or or, uh, like to cancel or 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 to give him the okay. Let's say for a contract you were you awarding the tenders. They all came to your office. And you, oh, that one is also applying. I'll vase him. I'll show him. Now that I have all this power. You know, I've actually been in a position... I wasn't doing the decision-making, but I was privy to a process where that was done. I was literally in the office. And the person said, oh, we want to talk now. Application's in my desk. And literally was foiled, pushed aside, simply because of an offense. And yet this was a son of God. He allowed the historical offense to cloud his judgment of the brother. Amen? Amen. But you know why I'm saying this prophetic? Because some of you are going to be in great positions. When it's going to be in the power of your hand to promote or to keep back. And at that point, God's going to test your heart as a peacemaker and your commitment to peace. Amen. And then you're going to operate in the power of the firstborn. So dying next year, we're going to talk about the firstborn. You're going to operate in the power. Firstborn sons always have the welfare of the rest of the sons at heart. You do nothing to inhibit their progress. You do everything to promote them. Amen? Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor I'm a firstborn son. Gee, never, never going to get to the noses today. Amen? Let's get to verse, page 8. Ephesians 2, right at the bottom. Verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made by the flesh, in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens. Just stop there. So whenever you are without Christ, the principle of alienation kicks in. So I'm going to talk in this context about alienation relationally between people. So just a quick, quick principle there is, whenever there is alienation or relational tension, it always implies that the Christ principle is somehow not upheld in that relationship. Right? Alienated. From the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once afar off being brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our Peace. I just love that statement. Right? He himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, 
having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create within himself one new man from two, thus making peace. Everyone say, thus making peace. It's an amazing, amazing portion of scripture and verse 16 says, he does this through his death on the cross. Right? He does this through his death on the cross. So, he has become our peace. Right? He has become our peace. And the Bible says, he makes of two, one new man, look at verse 14 again, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between them. He himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition. Everyone say one. If you don't within yourself embody the principle of the oneness of the body, your capacity to make peace will be compromised. A loaded statement. Listen carefully. Let me say it again, my own my own way. Listen carefully. If I'm going to be a peacemaker amongst the brothers in the body of Christ here and, and globally, I have to be the embodiment of peace first. It says he himself is our peace. You can't give something you are not. Hmm? Everyone say he himself is our peace. The peacemaker, the peacemaker is the exemplification of the personification, the standard, the beacon of peace in every sense. Never go into a peacemaking scenario if you are harboring strife, tension, unforgiveness to anybody else. It doesn't work. You will be disqualified in the spirit. Remember we see, we read Acts, Acts 7. Moses attempted to arbitrate between two Israelites. Remember? What did the guys tell him? Why was Moses disqualified as a peacemaker between brothers? The guy said to him, Oh, who made you ruler over us? What right do you come here? Try and sort our issues out. Will you kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Remember he killed the Egyptian for flogging the Israelite. Right? And the principle is, the Egyptian represents the enemy. Moses displayed an inaccurate biblical attitude and behavior to his enemies, and that disqualified him from reconciling brothers. I'm telling you, this issue of the right approach to your greatest persecutor is going to set you up for, for major use by God in the area of peacemaking. I love what, now think about Jesus. He himself is our peace. In his cross, he has made two one new man. Listen, he, he, he is able and so making peace, it says. Look at it, verse 15 again, the last part. So as to create one new man from two, thus making peace. If the principle of oneness is not embraced thoroughly within you, you are not going to be empowered in this, in this task, this important responsibility of being a peacemaker. So if you come to church on a Sunday morning, let's say, and you see this group, if in your mind you are still thinking sectarian, you're still thinking pockets, you're still thinking um, uh, pockets of, or cliques, you are not qualified for this level. You still have a long way to go. Tell you, maybe you have a long way to go. I have a long way to go. I'm saying, God, help me 
And not only here, if I go to, I go to every Thursday morning to Dr. Segi's forum, every Wednesday morning to our forum here um, on, 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 in Queensborough, right? Uh, every second Friday morning to another forum in, in Greenwood Park. If I go to my brothers and if I'm still thinking se- separate s- sectors, I must embrace them to- as the expression of the body of Christ totally within my own, within my own heart. Then God says to me, this guy is qualified as a peacemaker because he has embraced them within his heart. I want to encourage you, embrace the principle of oneness. Amen? Now, okay, let's go on. Go to page 10 quickly. Page 11. I'm going to leave the portion out on page 10. You can read it just because of time. Um, just quickly, let me just summarize page 10 for you. Uh, I say that, that leaders above anybody need to be peaceable. If you are a leader, in fact, let's just do it quickly. It's very important. If you are a leader, you must be exemplary in your peaceableness. Titus 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Remind them, this is for all people, not just for leaders, remind them to be subject to rulers, authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable. Everyone say, I'm peaceable. So the word instructs you to be peaceable. But if all believers are to be peaceable, leaders more so. How many leaders you know are brawlers? I've known some spiritual leaders in my years that I literally can take it to the streets. The whole disposition of a spiritual leader must be gentle and peaceable. You must be highly relational. And in in 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, an overseer, which is a bishop or an elder, anyone that has spiritual responsibility over God's heritage, must be um, above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or perniciousness, but gentle and peaceable. Right? A leader, by definition, has got to be peaceable. Now, the corollary, the opposite, the flip side of that is, the spin on that is this, that if I master peaceableness, I am eligible for leadership function in the kingdom of God. Amen? Leadership function in the kingdom of God. And then on page 11, James 3.17, the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable. Everyone say wisdom is peaceable. Now think about just that one statement. The wisdom that comes from God above is peaceable. So if you claim to have wisdom, guess what? You are a peaceable person. And if you read the balance of verse 18, the wisdom above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So Christ, who is our wisdom, is the embodiment of peace. And if I claim to have divine wisdom, when I express it, peace will always be the result. Amen? Not division, not war, not hurt. Don't you think we need more wisdom to be peaceful? (laughs) Think about it. You're in the vortex 
of a, of a tense situation relationally. One comment of yours can either throw the thing completely out of spin, worsen it, or arrest the decay, because your speech is the salt, full of grace. Okay? And I want to encourage you, next time you, are, you comment, say to yourself, my words need to be wise. The wisdom that is from above is peaceable. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Always condition your mind, I am a peacemaker. Therefore, I am a mature son of God. I am filled with the wisdom of God to make peace. Say that after me. I am filled with the wisdom of God to make peace. Come on, say it again. I am filled with the wisdom of God to make peace. Very often we only think of wisdom as unraveling major issues. Yes, it is. The intelligence of God, the divine wisdom of God. But the expression of wisdom that comes from above, the Bible says it's pure and it's peaceable. Amen. It's pure and it's peaceable. Now, let me, I want to encourage you because I know you are asking and there's a whole range of questions going through your mind. But Everyone say, but. What about so and so? There's that one person we all have in our lives. Hmm? Do you have the but person? Some of you got a big but. <laughs> I want to talk about how to respond to somebody that is irreconcilable. You are called to the ministry of reconciliation. We discussed that in 2 Corinthians 5. How do you walk with someone that is irreconcilable? Now firstly, you are expected to be peaceful with all men. For so says the scriptures. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all men. Pursue peace with all men and sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Then Romans 12, 18 further says, If it is possible, and I know some of you are not going to uh, uh, underline the last part, be at peace with all men. You're going to underline the part, if it is possible. You're going to go straight there. Say, ah, the Lord has given me license. The Bible says, if it is possible. It says, as far as it depends on you, you be at peace with all men. Right? The words, as far as it depends on you, literally imply that as far as you are personally responsible, you must be at live at peace with all men. In other words, you must not be the cause of the strife, the division, um, the hurt, the betrayal. So you just position yourself. Say, God, let me just say it like this. Your thinking should be this. Lord, I will do everything possible. Now, please write that. That's a revelation. I'm just getting it right now. Write that above the word, if possible. Write there, I will do everything possible. Right? It's not like, don't take that if possible and say, well, I have license to opt out out of pursuing reconciliation with that person. Rather, I would interpret the verse by saying, I will do everything within my power, right, to pursue peace and reconciliation with that person, because then I know I'm pleasing God, right? I will do everything in my power to do this. Now, out there, we are to be reconciliatory in character, but we must also be aware of those who are simply irreconcilable 
Now look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. A very, very important scripture. Realize this. Paul is talking to his son and he says, Realize this, son, in the last days. Question. Are we living in the period called the last days? So does this, what Paul's about to say, does it apply to you and I? Yes, it does. Difficult times will come. Especially difficult times relationally. And now if you count, he lists 18 characteristics of what men will be like in the last days. And right, if you go, let's go straight to the punchline, go right to the end of verse 5. What does he say that you must do to these people? I can't hear you. Can't you louder? Come on, say it louder. He says, avoid such men. Now, what type of men in the last days when difficult times come must a spiritual son look out for and in essence keep his distance? Right? Keeping his distance but not hating anyone. Right? Keeping his distance but loving everyone. Avoid. What does avoid mean? Stay away. I mean, don't walk closely with them. Don't walk or work closely with them in kingdom assignments. But that does not imply you are permitted to hate them. Not walking with someone means, it's not equated to hating the person. So I must love everybody, but I can, I can choose with whom I walk closely with. You know why? Let's just read this list. This is a good study for some of you to undertake. Look at all 18 factors. Decode them because this will help you in life. You will avoid the wrong associations. You will avoid walking closely with the wrong and being allied closely to the wrong person. Let's read this list. For men will be what? Lovers of self. Lovers of money. So if anyone loves money, you must, must avoid them. Okay? So, listen carefully. Let's go to the list. Lovers of self. Lovers of money. Boastful. Arrogant. Revilers. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Unloving. And here's the big one. Irreconcilable. Malicious gossips. Without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And now verse 5 tells me they are all in the church. Because verse 5 says, holding what? What do these 18 people hold? They hold a form of churchiness or godliness. Let me just give you a revelation. This list I've said to you now is not a list for people in the world. It's a list for people that claim to be in the kingdom. And Paul says they have the form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Right? In other words, if you are if any, in any respect like these 18 factors, you, you deny the power of the Spirit working in and through your life. All you have is form, but no power. All you have is form, in other words, all the outward trappings, you lift the hands, you got the cliches, you say everything, but the scripture says, I must avoid you. This is a hectic scripture. If ever, if ever Paul is like, you know, at one time Paul even spoke to Timothy, he says, Alexander the coppersmith. He called the man's name, he even gave, in case Timothy was going to get the wrong Alexander, he gave the, the, what the guy's job description is, where he works. He says, Avoid him. Have nothing to do with him. 
because he greatly withstood our words. Okay? I won't go that far. Paul was very bold to, to actually list people's names that are now recorded in the canon of Scripture. Okay? Avoid such people. Now, what does irreconcilable mean? Irreconcilable is simply aspondos in the Greek, and it literally means this truceless, implacable, a truce breaker. Without a treaty or a covenant, they cannot be persuaded to enter into a covenant. Implacable. The absolutely irreconcilable person who, being at war, refuses to lay aside his enmity to listen to the terms of reconciliation. Implacable in a state of war. You know, in a war they call a truce sometimes so they can negotiate civilly. This person won't even stop fighting to talk. Do you know that the, the military principle of truce? So one of the definitions of an irreconcilable person is a truce breaker. You break the truce. Right? In military political terms, sometimes warring factions will realize this war is getting out of hand and if it persists, there's great damage to both sides. So what they do, it's political expediency. Um, they get diplomats in, they get negotiators, and they call a meeting of gentles. And they literally say, let's, let's, they call, a ceasefire is the word, is it? A ceasefire. They say, let's cease firing. Stop. Let's just call it, and they even sometimes specify a time period. Ceasefire, so they can at least talk. Now, some people don't even cease firing to talk. They're irreconcilable. They're truce breakers. They break the terms of the covenant. Right? Now, and I really want to encourage you. You know what? The Bible says this kind of person in the last day is going to increase. And you must know the irreconcilable persons in your world. All you do is, don't hate them. Tell your neighbor you're not allowed to hate an irreconcilable person. Don't hate them. You know why? Because you must always love. You must always have a good attitude towards your enemies so that you'll be sons of your father. Okay? So that you will be sons of of your father. Now look on page 12 um, how irreconcilable is rendered in other versions of the Bible. ERV says they refuse to forgive anyone. I'm, I'm amazed at how some Christians can say, I will never forgive. I will never relent. In what you're saying, I will not cease firing. This war I'll take to my grave. The NIV and New King James Version says unforgiving. ESV, unappeasable. God's Word translation says they refuse to make peace with anyone. Uncooperative, truce breakers, King James. Unhealing, unbending, implacable, relentless. The Amplified says admitting to no truce or appeasement. There are some that are relentless. And I want to encourage you, like Abraham said to Lot, I don't want there to be issues. Let's part. Because the strife now between our herdsmen is becoming our strife. Let's walk our separate ways. But when you are in trouble, I'm, I, I can't walk with you because you're displaying an irreconcilable disposition in this house. I can't walk with you. I walk this way. You go that way. I go this way. But in my heart, I will always love you. In fact, I will demonstrate to you a lot. When you are in trouble, I will sacrifice everything to save you. That is the peacemaker. Now please, don't leave this meeting 
and all you got is page 11. <laughs> I kind of irreconcilable. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying realize sometimes to keep the peace you have to avoid them. Sometimes to avoid is your disposition of a peacemaker. But in your heart don't harbor an ounce of resentment, bitterness, anger, and even if their name comes up, don't even tell your friends, I've chosen to walk this way. Don't, but speak nicely about the person. Right? Extol the person's praises. For then you will be the sons of your Father, which is in, which is in, in heaven. Now, right at the bottom, 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee from youthful lust, pursue righteousness. Faith, love, and peace. So what is Timothy to pursue? Timothy must always follow the way of peace. With those. Now you should underline with those. And the one hand he's saying to his son, in the last days, perilous times will come. Avoid. Then he's saying, but there is another company that you must go with. So pursue peace with those that are calling upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Amen. Calling upon the Lord, on the name of the Lord, out of a, of, a, of a pure heart. Amen. Now, just quickly, just two minutes and I'll close. Matthew 10 towards the bottom. Now, you can read it when you get home. Matthew 10 from verse 34 to 39. Jesus is essentially saying that sometimes your commitment to Him, His purposes, His will, and His way will automatically bring relational tension in your world. He says, no man... Where does it say? In verse 35. Let's just read it. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against a mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own house. How is that? I mean, we talk about like enemies like they're far away. Sometimes the enemy is right in the house. Right? In your family, in your extended family. It says, a man's enemies will be right there in his household. He, therefore, he who loves father, mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. But he who lost his life for my sake will find it. What Jesus is essentially saying here is that sometimes... Um, you have to break with sentimental uh, ties, emotional ties, if the people closest to you cannot fully comprehend the standard of sacrifice and commitment that God is calling you to. And he says, when you have that choice, you'd rather take up your cross, follow me. For no man, if you're still sentimentally tied to mother, father, etc., and you don't take up your cross and do my will, and you are, you, you are scared that in your bid to obey God, you're going to lose favor with your house. Jesus said, well, I came for that purpose, to send a sword in your house. So long as you are thoroughly committed to pursuing my purpose. What is he saying is, do not let the temptation to please the people closest to you to supersede your commitment to doing his will. Because sometimes the commitment to doing his will you might fall out of favor with those closest to you when those closest to you cannot fully comprehend the mandate of God upon your life. I know it's a mouthful. I received a prophecy in, in, in Skoheim 
was a prophetic conference organized by Robert Munyan years ago. And um, a guy from um, the States, I don't know, John Singleton from the UK, prophet, asked me to stand. And, and he said this to me. I was still young. And he said, the way in which God will deal with you, and he, I'll never forget this statement, he said, might not be understandable to many people around you. And, and you have to make a choice, young man, about doing God's will and falling out of favor with those closest to you. When those closest to you cannot understand my will for your life, what are you going to do? Hmm? I'll never forget that statement. Okay, he said, I remember he said, you're like walking a tightrope, like a man, you know this tightrope? And he was doing this as he prophesied with the beam, and you're walking carefully one step, and you've got to be obedient to follow the Lord. Amen? Follow the Lord. But you know what? Um, I was reading some, you know, Proverbs 16 is recorded here, top of page 13. While, listen carefully, while there will always be those implacable, unappeasing, truce breakers, never want to cease fire people round about us, that we must always still love. I am trusting God, listen, to change their hearts. That's where I am. I'm saying, God, I believe in your power to change their hearts. And this Proverbs 16, 7 is an encouraging verse of Scripture. When a man's ways please the Lord, he will make even his enemies to be at peace with him. You know, like, I, I'll refer to lay my faith and belief upon the scripture and say, Lord, if my ways please you, then, you know what David said, Lord, answer me according to the cleanness of my hands, according to the integrity of my heart. Now, this is the big challenge I want to leave us all. I'm saying, Lord, um, my enemy might be unrelenting, might be at war, um, unforgiving, unhealing, unbending. But I want to trust you, Father. Lord, I'm even standing proxy for them as a high priest. I'm, I'm even standing redemptively on their behalf. Look at how I please you, God. Look at my ways and make my enemies be at peace with me. Right? And I really believe this is a word of hope for us. I really believe. I'm saying, I am not going to lay blame at my enemy's feet all the time. I'm saying to God, Father, I'm taking this personally now. You said it in your word, that if my ways please you, you will make even my enemies to be at peace. You know, we have faith for a lot of other things. Eh? How about having faith for this scripture? We have faith sometimes, as long as it blesses me personally. But how about saying to God, Lord, you said, if my ways please you, you're even going to turn my enemies' hearts, and they're going to be at peace with me. Amen? Lift your hands to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that we would be peacemakers. We would be sons of our Father in heaven. I pray peace to every person. I pray we would become peace, like Christ is peace. I speak prophetically for the restoration, reconciliation, forgiveness to every tense relationship in strife. I pray, O oh God, that your peace would flow like a river and the righteousness will crash like waves upon the seashore as your word declares, Father. Father, turn the hearts of those who are irreconcilable. So many of us, Father, have relational issues. When we sleep at night, there's always somebody on our mind that we need to reconcile with. 
always someone that we need to reach out to. Always a relationship here. A relationship there that needs to be mended. We carry this burden within us daily. Like Paul says, he carries the burden of his brothers within his heart wherever he goes. Father, we carry such burden. And we stand before you. Come, let's just stand. I feel let's just stand before I continue praying. I want to pray this prayer prophetically. Father, we stand before you with our hands lifted up to you. And from today, we take the responsibility personally. We know that it's your desire that we walk and pursue peace with all men. That we pursue the things that even make for peace, as your word declares. And as far as possible, it lies within our power to do. We commit to living peaceably with all, with all men. We will forgive freely even our greatest offenders. Father, I commit to you today that I will be your son. And when you stand in the heavens, you will say, there go sons of your father. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We want to be that. We want to be peacemakers. We want to be known as sons of God. And so, Father, with lifted hands, we bring specific people. In your mind as I pray, I want you to just, just bring the person to the Lord. We bring specific people to you. We heard your word today that when our ways please you, you will make even our enemies to be at peace with us. I pray a prayer of forgiveness for ourselves first, that in areas where we've not been pleasing to you, that you would forgive us. Forgive us where we've been the cause of the strife. Forgive us where we've been the cause of the tension. Let your mercy wash over us afresh. Let forgiveness wash over us afresh. And we commit to pursuing the things that make for peace. So, Father, we ask, turn the heart of that person. Turn the, the inner bowels of the person. Turn the person where they will know internally this is the doing of the Lord. Oh, Father, I pray that you would change their mindset, change their mental state, change that person that we desire to reconcile with so powerfully. So much hinders and hinges, Father, rather upon reconciled relationships. There's so much ahead for us when these things transpire. And so we pray that we will be blessed. We will be happy, fortunate, and prosperous. We will be blessed sons of God because we function in a peacemaking disposition. Lord Jesus, you became peace. So making two opposing factions, one within yourself. I pray that internally we would be the embodiment of the oneness. We want to see oneness in the body of Christ. We want to see not just unity, but a body at oneness completely. Let us be the walking embodiments of these principles. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.